0: Fidelity High The people you dig The records they love Patterson Hood is a critically acclaimed singer-songwriter and co-founder of the Drive-By Truckers He and the band celebrated their 20th anniversary last year with the release of their 11th studio album, American Band Greg Cott of the Chicago Tribune called it one of the band's strongest front-to-back albums, stating, At a time in their career when most bands are struggling to match past glories, the Drive-By Truckers sound like the stakes are higher than ever, while NPR said, It's a small gift within these challenging days that one of the nation's best bands has made what very well might be its greatest album. This is Patterson Hood. I play in the band Drive-By Truckers. And my fidelity high today is maggie and terry roach's album seductive reasoning i was a when i was a little boy my dad's a a musician he's a bass player a session player from the muscle shoals sound rhythm section and uh muscle shoals alabama and uh he ended up he ended up kind of inheriting the production of the of the album the maggie and terry roach album and um they they had first come to Muscle Shoals, I think, in like 73 with Paul Simon um, and uh, done some backup vocals on his album, There Goes Rhymin' Simon. And then Paul Simon began producing the record... And, um, I think at some point, I believe Paul Samuel Smith also did some production on it, but for one reason or another, they ended up in Muscle Shoals and my dad ended up kind of inheriting the project. And, uh, I'm, I'm not sure maybe they didn't, the others didn't quite know what to do with them or I'm not, I'm not quite sure exactly how that all played out. And I was a kid at the time I was, um, I was like, you know, nine, nine ten years old, but, um, I can remember my dad. Uh, really didn't play a lot of music at home that he was working on. He tended to not bring work home with him, but um, he would play that record a good bit, or or you know cassette tapes of rough mixes of things they were working on, and they worked on the record over a. Pretty long period of time, and uh, so I can kind of remember hearing the songs in pretty early forms, and then hearing them in later forms as as the record got further along. And um, you know, it was unlike anything I had ever heard, and um, and I'm pretty sure unlike anything my dad had ever heard too. I'm I, I think that uh, you know that it was pretty different than anything they worked on, and really, if you look at the catalog of, of of music that the Muscle Shoals Rhythm Section played on, I think you could pretty safely say that the the Roach's record was a bit of an outlier, but uh, but it's a wonderful one, a wonderful outlier. I started writing songs when I was eight years old, and uh, uh, just basically sitting in class when I was supposed to be listening to the teacher uh, writing <laughs> and. Uh, uh, you can pretty easily look at my report card transcripts and pinpoint the exact moment that I started writing songs because I went from being an AB student to a CD student pretty immediately around February of 73, and uh, which was, was probably around the time that this all started happening in Muscle Shoals with, with the Roach's record. so, uh, as I was kind of learning to write that record was something that was getting played a lot. And, um, uh, I'm not sure I even liked it the first few times my dad played some of the stuff for me. Uh, I think the first song he played was wiggling man. And I, I'm not sure I liked that song when I first heard it as a kid, but, uh, uh, as, as, as the record progressed, I started liking more and more of it. And, um, but, but things took kind of an interesting turn. And, in, uh, when they were finishing the album, which would have been the summer of 74, cause it actually was about a year between when they finished it and when it actually came out. And, uh, cause I'm not sure that CBS records quite knew what to do with the record either. But, uh, they, um, uh, to mix it, uh, they had Phil Ramone mix it up at A&R Studios in New York. And, you know, I I grew up in a small town, North Alabama, and uh, I'd never really gone on a work trip with my dad before. And I'd always wanted to go to New York. And so dad took me with him to New York City to go mix the record. And that was my first exposure to New York. And, um, and um, I think I had met, maggie and terry maybe a time or two before that in muscle shoals but i'm not 100 percent sure even but but i definitely got to know them a little bit during that time because i actually got to go to the studio a couple of days and hang out while they were mixing and mm-hmm. and watching the great phil ramone you know mix the thing was really really quite an education in its own right and um and the they were you know, the, the, the Maggie and Terry were awesome to me. They were really sweet to me. They were, they, uh, you know, I was just a kid. I was probably by that time about 10, but, uh, but it's probably a little bit precocious. And as I said, I was already into songwriting and, uh, and so, you know, I think they could tell a kindred soul when they met one. And, um, one night we ended up, they ended up knocking off work early and, uh, uh, my dad and mom and and Maggie and Terry took me to Greenwich Village. And so I have this like real vivid memory of me at like ten years old walking hand in hand with, with Maggie and Terry Roats as they're like pointing out all these you know, places in, in Greenwich village and in Chinatown. And we rode the subway for the first time. And I mean, it really, it really literally kind of blew my mind. And, uh, know, so I was kind of a misfit kid at home and, and didn't really feel like I fit in at school. And, and, um, I think even a lot of my songwriting was kind of a result of, you know, being kind of a lonely, weird misfit kid. And so, you know, all of a sudden I'm like walking hand in hand with these, you know, Kind of beautiful older women, girls, and uh, they were young enough to where they were still kind of relatable, you know, to me in that respect. Yet old enough to be kind of exotic, and and um, it was a it was a pretty mind blowing experience. And um, and I just grew to love those songs, and especially at the time, a song called "Down the Dream," that um, I've been listening to a lot lately. uh, You know. Maggie just recently passed away and I uh when I heard the news I was instantly kind of taken back to you know that that night all those years ago walking through Greenwich Village with with Maggie and Terry and uh so I pulled out the records and started playing them a lot and uh um, and playing them for my daughter who's 11 now who uh really really has enjoyed it and gotten into it but, um, uh, the song down the dream is particularly a standout on that album. That's just being a, an absolutely perfect piece of songwriting. Uh, just the way it, way it told the story cause it does tell a story and it implies a much bigger story than it even tells. And, uh, and the way it reveals certain aspects of the story as a song goes along. And, um, there's even a, a line in the song, um, uh, there should be something to fall back on like a knife or a career, which I always loved. And, um, and unfortunately kind of used that line as sort of, a a, um, a, a mantra in my life, in how I lived my life for a long time. And, um, w- which is probably not really the best way to do that. But, uh, but, uh, I I, I even, I think even stole that line, not in a song, but just in personal use. And, you know, people would ask me when I was still trying to, you know, when we were a struggling band and it's like, well, you know, what do you have to fall back on? And I was young and full of beans and would say, you know, a knife. (laughs) But, uh, so, uh, you know, but 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 that is—it's an amazing line, and uh, and 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 really, all the lines in that song are pretty, pretty, pretty stunning. Uh, you know, first of all, for love of thee, and second all, deranged with the uh, with the drug with the drug second all being used. You know, that's 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 some that's some pretty wicked wordplay, and uh, uh, there should be something to fall back on, like a knife or a career. Heavy is the Heart that bears a starting life in the dying time of year, I mean it's just, it's just stunning, you know, and they were they were barely not even teenagers when they wrote that i mean that that Maggie was Maggie could not have been more than twenty one or twenty two when she wrote that song if if even that and uh it, it' it's it's pretty stunning to me it kind of embodies everything that I'm talking about about this album. one other song that I would really. Like to play for you to to finish this out would be the song Jill of all trades it's uh just it's an, just an absolutely stunning song and uh absolutely one of the greatest songs I've ever heard by anybody and uh and I was listening to it kind of over and over in the past week after Maggie passed away and and just 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 kind of an awe of what an amazing piece of writing that is in remembrance of Maggie Roach, who was such a phenomenal songwriter uh, uh, this is definitely one that she should be remembered for Thanks for listening to Fidelity High For an extended version of this episode including songs from the featured artists please visit fidelityhigh.com